It's always soccer in Philadelphia, even, even when the Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. How about that? And it's always soccer, even when the Philadelphia Flyers have won something like three games in a row. And it's even soccer in Philadelphia when the Philadelphia 76ers, your town, your team, your 76ers have won five games in a row. And are now five games above 500 for the first time since God, I can't even remember. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about soccer. Kevin Kincaid joining you here. Uh, Baxter is, I don't know where he is. I, I hear him walking around, but I don't know what floor he's on. He might be upstairs, actually. Uh, Dave is not here. So, yeah, it's just me. It's just me uh, in the studio. And we're kind of, uh, what we're going to do this time around, we're going to do something different for this episode. We're going to do something kind of special. Because, uh, I mean, frankly, there's really not that much to talk about in Philadelphia Union land. You know, we said we would do another uh, podcast when they signed somebody. So we did the David Akam podcast. There's really nothing more on that front. There are a couple of, there's one trialist who's with the team in Florida. Now he's not there anymore. Uh, Not a ton that's really going on uh, down there in Clearwater. Um, So I got Ryan Richter. Uh, on the horn last week, and he had some good stuff to say about his retirement, uh, a good player's perspective on you know, his experience going from NASL to MLS to USL to MLS to NASL to, to US, USL, whatever his uh, career path was there. So I hope you guys enjoyed that one too. But what we're going to do this time is something completely different. I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story of what happened when CJ Sapong was arrested um, for DUI a couple years ago and then eventually found uh, not guilty uh, in a court of law. And you may remember, this is something I kind of fumbled around with a year ago, two years ago, and it, eventually what happened was I came out on Twitter um, and I released some of the details, just sort of in like a lengthy like kind of chain, like here's what happened, here's what he had to pay, um, here's what some of the officers said, here's what he had to say. But it was never... Uh, you, you know, like I never like published anything with it. Like I never got the full story out there and I never like f- published the whole thing from, from top to bottom and got the, got to tell the story, uh, uh, properly, you know, I guess. And, and basically I think the reason for that was number one, I was with voice at the time and, uh, you know, it was something that was really complicated and had a lot of legalese in it. And so, you know, it, it was just a lot of work for them. And they probably didn't feel like, well, it's just a Philadelphia Union story. I mean, like, we're not going to devote a bunch of resources to this. I think it was right around the time of the Democratic National Convention and their lawyers were all tied up doing other stuff. So we just kind of put that on the back burner and never got to it. So I went to PSP with it um, and Ed and Dan and I um, talked it over and, and tried to chase some things down here and there. Um, and basically at the end of the day, like I thought I had, we had enough to go with it. Um, and Dan and I weren't really necessarily on the same page as far as whether we should do this or whether we shouldn't do it. So I just held on to it. Um, figured I'd try to put it out at some point. Um, you know, obviously, you know, two years, three years after the fact, it gets further and further down the road where it really doesn't matter that much anymore. Um, but I wrote it out for crossing broad as well. Just try to write all the, take what I had for the first two sites and kind of build on it there. And uh, we, you know, we just got caught up with the Eagles stuff and with the Sixers stuff and all kinds of things that were more important than some case that was a couple years old. But, uh, you know, I came back around to it and I figured, you know, I, something was bugging me about it. Like I still wanted to like tell the story and I wanted to get it out there for people who were interested um, because the feedback of the stuff that I did on Twitter or just said on Twitter a couple years ago was positive. You know, people seemed interested in it and I got the sense that there were some people who wanted to you know, hear, hear some more about it or get the full details of it. So I figured I'm like, okay, I got this, I got this podcast, you know, people like it. Um, let me just, let me just read 
you know, what I wrote, uh, we'll do it in like a audio format, right? So, so for this podcast, instead of, don't think of it as a podcast, think of like your, your, uh, you know, you got like an audio book or something, right? You, you put uh, Harry Potter into the cassette, uh, thing in your car and you're driving to work and you're listening to it during your commute. Right. So what I, uh, what I want to do is just sort of go through every single thing that I wrote. And I just want to read it verbatim. Uh, you know, I want to read what I wrote a word for word and just sort of explain how the, the trial went and the legal process um, and the exchanges between CJ and the lawyers and the state police who were involved. And, um, you know, see uh, what people have to say from there. But I think it's a good story to tell. And I'll explain this when I get into um, when I get into the the story when I start reading it's I think it's a good story to tell it's not necessarily about CJ so much it's not even really a sports story it's kind of like a legal system justice system kind of thing you know why why did it happen this way what was the whole process that went down you know why was he why did he have to go to Malibu and do the suspension if he was found not guilty you know those are some of the questions we were looking at answering so hopefully I can answer all those as we go through it but uh, starting right now I'm gonna do a quick pause and then I'm gonna read the story from top to bottom try to do my best uh, narrator voice here and make it as interesting as possible. There's going to be some parts in here where I have like dialogue between, you know, like the lawyers and CJ and the uh, the judge and whatnot. So I'll basically like say who's talking and then I'll just sort of like read the conversation as if it's a natural conversation. I think it should be easy enough to follow and you'll know who's, uh, whose voice I'm, I'm speaking in. All right. Well, without further ado, let's, uh, let's give it a shot and see what happens. This is the story of a Philadelphia Union player who was arrested for DUI, suspended by Major League Soccer, and found not guilty 11 months later. It dates back to May 1st, 2015, when C.J. Sapong was pulled over on 22nd Street just off the Vine Street Expressway at 4 in the morning. Most people assumed his guilt when a press release went out the next day, but I was told that we didn't have the full story regarding a series of events that sources say involved shoddy police work. I chased the story for a full year and obtained a trial transcript, but hit a wall requesting video of the traffic stop. Now, at the time, Pennsylvania law stipulated that the public cannot access state police dashboard camera video. In response to a 2014 lawsuit fired by, filed by a Center County woman, Michelle Grove, the issue went all the way to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. So when I went through the process of asking for the footage, my request was added to a long list of similar queries that were kept in limbo by the pending ruling. Grove ultimately won that case after three years of legal wrangling. The Supreme Court handed down its decision two summers ago, ruling 5-2 to two that there can be no blanket exemption for public access to dashcam video. I was originally barred from access because I was told that the DUI video was part of a criminal investigation, even though Sapong's trial had already concluded. So the high court developments made me consider refiling for the video. A big victory for transparency, right? Let's go out there and let's go get the video. Not so much. A few days after the ruling, Pennsylvania lawmakers introduced Senate Bill 560, a reactionary law that would reverse the court's decision and essentially make dash camera video once again inaccessible to the public. The state Senate shamefully voted 49 to 1 to approve the bill, and Governor Tom Wolf signed it once it hit his desk. So we don't have the video of the traffic stop, and we'll probably never get it. Not unless SB 560 faces another legal challenge, likely spearheaded by the ACLU. What we do have is a trial transcript featuring full testimony from CJ and the pair of state troopers who pulled him over. And you're probably wondering at this point if the story is old news. Am I trying to drag CJ through the mud? No, absolutely not. We all know CJ had a career year in 2017, scored 16 goals, earned a deserved call up to the United States national team. He played his best MLS season 
uh, since turning pro back in 2011. And the reason I want to publish this story then is because I think it, it provides a necessary and interesting look at the legal process regarding DUI stops. It also helps us understand why the prosecution failed to get a guilty verdict, and it tells at least part of CJ's story, which was underreported at the time. I spent $200 of my own money going after the trial transcript and the dash cam footage uh, based on loose information from a pair of sources who had provided solid information in the past. So first, a bit of background and some context here to get it started. CJ was just a few games into his first union season when the incident happened. State police say he struck a set of traffic cones deployed along the 16th Street entrance ramp to Interstate 676, which resulted in troopers following him down the highway to the next ramp at 22nd Street. Sapon was charged with first offense DUI documented as 75-3802A1 under Pennsylvania state law. A1 is described as general impairment slash incapable of safe driving, and that's categorized as a misdemeanor. For knocking over the cones, he was also hit with a summary offense, reckless driving charge logged as a 75-3736A. The 26-year-old was banned from MLS competition and sent to Malibu as part of the league's mandatory substance abuse program, the SABH. He missed three games in May and then returned later that month to score five goals in his next six union appearances. The ensuing legal battle was lengthy and disjointed. It took months of cancellations and continuations before his trial even began on April 6th of 2016. The separate charge of reckless driving wasn't even settled until late August of the same year. Sapon was found guilty on that charge and ordered to pay a $200 fine in addition to having his driver's license suspended for six months. He was also required to cover $129 in court fees. But why was he found not guilty of DUI? So the trial took place in front of Judge Craig M. Washington at Philadelphia's Criminal Justice Center. Assistant District Attorney Catherine Smith prosecuted the case while Sapon was represented by prominent Philadelphia lawyer Guy Sciola, who had previously worked on cases involving allegations of police misconduct. The trial begins with Smith calling Pennsylvania State Trooper James Kelbel as a witness. Smith asked Kelbel, a five-year veteran, to explain what happened after Sapong pulled his white Mercedes to a stop. Kelbel testified that his vehicle was stationary in a construction zone and that Sapong nearly struck his patrol car. Catherine Smith, what contact did you have with the defendant at the location? Kelbel says, I observed the defendant's vehicle commit a traffic violation, nearly striking my vehicle, and I continued to watch the vehicle travel westbound on 676. Other than almost striking your vehicle, did you see the defendant commit any other traffic infractions? I did. The defendant's vehicle left the right lane of travel, struck two cones behind my vehicle that were stationary along the white dotted line in the center of the highway. Judge Craig Washington interrupts, hold it. His car left the right lane? Yes, sir. And it struck two cones that were behind your car? Yes, sir. All right. Then the car, the subject's vehicle, nearly struck, it nearly sideswiped my vehicle and then struck another construction cone in front of my vehicle and continued westbound. Kelbel goes on to testify that he radioed another nearby trooper, Jarrett Harvey, who pursued Sapong and pulled him over two minutes later about a half mile up the highway. Sapong was given three field sobriety tests, including the one-leg stand, the walk and turn, and the HGN, or the horizontal gaze test, which is where subjects are asked to follow an object with their eyes. Kelbel testified that Sapong stepped off the line while walking, failed to touch heel to toe, and conducted an improper turn. He also testified that there was an odor of alcohol coming from the union player. In cross-examination then, Sciola asked Kelbel to clarify how many lanes of the highway were currently shut down at the time in an effort to find inconsistencies with the police report, which was, pre which was prepared by the other trooper, Harvey. 
This is Guy Sciola talking now. This is 3.40 a.m. There's no traffic out there, is there? Kelbel. At that time, I don't recall what the traffic flow was like. Did you make any notes, any handwritten notes of what was going on? I did not. Did you review the report prepared by Officer Harvey? I did not. You did not? You didn't review that? I did not. That's not That's not my report. And you didn't give a report. You didn't compose a report or talk to anybody? No report was given. So you're testifying today from your memory from a year ago. Yes, sir. And of course, your five years as a trooper, correct? Yes, sir. Sciola continues his cross-examination by pushing Kelbel to comment on the police report, explaining that Harvey noted damage to Sapong's car from allegedly striking the orange traffic cones in the construction zone. Kelbel testifies that he did not see that damage, and the trial continues with Catherine Smith calling Jarrett Harvey to the witness stand. Harvey is asked to describe what happened when he approached Sapong, who is now pulled over on 22nd Street. Catherine Smith. When you got to where you said the defendant's car was blocking the right lane, what, if anything, did you do or observe? Harvey. I exited my patrol vehicle, went to the driver's side of the vehicle, and there's one person seated there, and that was the defendant. I'd asked the defendant numerous times for his license and registration and insurance. He was struggling on finding that information. After a couple of times, I finally said, all right, let's just start with the driver's license. And he had given me his driver's license. I'd asked him to exit the vehicle when... I'm sorry, before I had asked him to exit the vehicle, I had smelled alcohol coming from the inside of the vehicle. His eyes were also glassy and bloodshot. Then I had asked him to exit the vehicle and perform standard field sobriety tests. I performed my field sobriety tests on him, and based on my training and experience, he had displayed indicators that he was under the influence of alcohol or a controlled substance. Now, Harvey testified that Sapan was slurring, stuttering, and swaying while attempting to keep, keep his footing. In administering the one-leg stand test, Harvey explained that Sapong showed three of four indicators of insobriety as he reportedly raised his arms, placed his foot on the ground, and swayed during the test. Now, at this point in the trial, Smith asked the court to play Exhibit C2, which is the video of the traffic stop. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the story, we were blocked from getting this video by some bullshit bogus laws. But the transcript continues as Judge Washington and both parties observe the tape. Washington speaks with Catherine Smith and Jarrett Harvey as the video is played. Sciola is asked to wait for cross-examination before he can comment, since this video is being presented as evidence for the prosecution. Does that make sense? Let me repeat that. CJ's lawyer is asked to wait for cross-examination before commenting, since this video is being presented as evidence for the prosecution. Also included uh, as evidence for the prosecution are the police report and the DL-26 O'Connell warnings, which I'll explain shortly. Washington notes while watching the video that Sapong does not appear to be swaying under the horizontal gaze test, which is important to point out uh, because the judge is also the jury in this case. There is no jury. Smith explains that she did not question Harvey about that specific test, so both parties agree that it's not admissible for trial. So Sciola begins to cross-examine Trooper Harvey, which starts with some confusion regarding audio that was not heard on the dash cam camera video. Now, Harvey says that he asked Sapong four times for his license, which the defense disputes based on the video. Harvey explains that his microphone was not turned on for the first approach to the car, and that he had also asked Sapong for his license before the video began recording. Sciola. And Trooper Kelbel is there with you while both of you are at the side of the car, and neither one of you is overheard saying anything to my client or him saying anything to you, correct? This is Harvey speaking. Well, if the microphone is not on, no, you don't hear anything. And Kelbel's microphone is not on either? Well, I can't speak for his microphone. It wouldn't be on my video. But we can all agree that you're having a conversation with him that's not on this video. Yes. Okay. And Catherine Smith, then, she objects. That's not just, you know, the audio portion is not on the video. The visual portion, Sciola, okay, you got him out. You order him out of the car. 
After some time, I told him to get out of the vehicle. A simple yes or no answer. Did you order him out of the car? Yes. Sir, I will testify how I want to testify. No, you will testify according to the rules of the court. Okay. The question before you, trooper, is did you order him out of the vehicle? The question before me, yes, I ordered him out of the vehicle. Did he get out of the car? Yes, he got out of the vehicle. Did he respond immediately to your request for him to get out of the car? I don't recall. I have to look at. You want to give an opinion as to whether or not he knew what you were talking about when you said get out of the car and he got out of the car. And then Smith objects again. Your Honor, this is argumentative. This isn't a question posed to the witness. And the judge says, let's proceed further, please. So after Skill finishes his cross-examination of Trooper Harvey, Smith reopens direct examination with a question about chemical blood testing. Now, at this point, and this is really important to note, a quick explanation for context. Per Pennsylvania law, a, a portable breathalyzer that's not admissible as evidence in a trial. So only certified chemical tests, such as those done at a police building or medical facility, can be used during trial. So in layman's terms, it doesn't matter if or what Sapong blew after he was pulled over because he can't use that anyway. Carry on then. Harvey Harvey uh, explains that Sapong refused a portable breathalyzer and agreed to undergo testing at the police station instead. Harvey testified that he drove Sapong to Philadelphia's detention unit where he was read his DL-26 O'Connell warnings, which is an implied consent document that informs a person of the penalties they face for refusing to take a chemical test. Pennsylvania state law does not give you the right to speak with an attorney before taking a blood alcohol test. So Harvey then testifies that Sapong refused to sign that form. He didn't sign the DL-26 form. Catherine Smith. Was that form, can you tell us how much of it or what of it you read to the defendant? Well, I read the entire portion from where it says, it's my duty as a police officer to inform you of the following, down to where we signed. And can you tell us, to the best of your recollection, the words that you asked the defendant and any words he said back to you concerning chemical testing? I asked the defendant if he was willing to submit to a chemical test, and he said no. Did you ask him to sign any paperwork? Well, I did, and he said he would not sign. I have no further questions. So now cross-examination begins with CJ's lawyer talking to the trooper. Guy Sciola, did the defendant trooper Harvey request to be permitted to read the form himself? I don't recall, but if he did, I would have given it to him. I don't have any problem with that. You don't know if he did or didn't ask for the form? I don't remember if he did. Okay, so your testimony is that you read it to him. I always read it, so yes. So at this point, CJ has allegedly been pulled over, given field sobriety tests, taken back to the police station and refused to sign a consent form preceding uh, preceding the chemical blood test. Trooper Harvey is dismissed from the stand and Sciola asked Judge Washington to acquit based on the prosecution's failure to prove that Sapong's in sobriety beyond a reasonable doubt. That motion is denied and CJ is called up to the witness stand. Sapong begins his testimony by explaining that he was coming from Z-Bar in Philadelphia's Northern Liberties section when he reportedly struck traffic cones entering the Vine Street Expressway. He explains that he had only been living in Philadelphia for a short time and was not entirely familiar with local roadways and traffic patterns. Sapong testified that he was trying to drive back to his residence in East Falls, but needed help finding the on-ramp to Interstate 676 after his GPS and phone died. Sapong adds that he did not strike Trooper Kelbel's car and he did not hit any traffic cones on the highway. He said that he pulled over to the side of 22nd Street in order to get out of the way of traffic. Now this is a conversation between Guy Sciola and CJ. Sciola. Now at some point, by the way, you had, where had you been? You said you were at Z-Bar and what did you have to drink that night? Well, I didn't drink anything there. I had dinner first before I met up with people and I didn't consume alcohol. So, well, how about during dinner? During dinner, I had a glass of wine. 
Okay, and you were arrested. Yes, sir. And you were taken from 22nd Street to the police station. Yes, sir. Okay, when you got to the police station, do you recall being asked to provide either a blood test or a breathalyzer? Well, when I was at the station, I was not only talking to the officer that was just on the stand, Trooper Harvey. There was two other troopers that actually did, and then he's interrupted here in Sciola says, troopers or police officers. Sapong. So Police officers, I believe, they did most of the reading. When they were talking very fast, I just wanted to be able to read the documents that they were having me sign. And once I started to read one of the documents, a police officer, not Harvey, told me that I was not able to read it, that I should sign it because he had already told me what's on it. At that moment in time, I just kind of pleaded with him to let me read the document, and that's when another officer who was to my right stated, we don't have all fucking night, sign the document. And I just kind of looked up at all three of them. I said, look, I'm not doing anything until you let me read a paper before I sign it. And that's when one of them took the paper from from in front of me and said, yeah, well, that's a refusal. And that was it. Sapong further testified that there was a bit of confusion during his interaction with Trooper Harvey, first in providing his license and registration, then in the administration of the field sobriety test. So Sciola says, were you able to give the trooper your license? Yes, my license, but he was asking for my information. I have that in my glove compartment in my glove compartment that has a lot of different papers. And I was, yes, a little nervous, and I was trying to find the information. When he asked for the license, that made it obviously easier because I had that right away. Right, that was in your wallet? Yeah. Now Catherine Smith objects here. She says, she says, objection again, Your Honor, to the leading, if he may allow the witness to testify. Sustained. Well, at some point you saw the video. This is Sciola speaking. At some point you saw the video, so you saw the police officer tell you to put your wallet back down on the seat. Yes, sir. Okay. Why did you have your wallet in your hand in the first place? Well, actually, I told him I was going to reach in my back pocket to get my wallet to get my license out of it. Okay, why did you do that? Because he asked me to. Okay, and did you do that? Yes, sir, I did. At any point in time, at any point in time, either before, after, or during this video, did you have any difficulty understanding the questions that were being put to you by either trooper? Well, not when I was originally stopped. I think when he was administering the test, it wasn't that clear to me exactly what he was wanting me to do in some instances. That's why I tried my very best to clarify what he was asking of me, and I just tried to perform that, perform that to the best of my ability. So in cross-examination, Sapong reiter- reiterated that he did not drink at Z-Bar and added that he had only gone there to meet up with friends. That led to a, a somewhat ridiculous exchange here with Assistant District Attorney Catherine Smith regarding Pennsylvania roadways and whether they, whether they differ from those in Sapong's native Virginia. So this is the Assistant District Attorney talking to CJ. It's your testimony that you had a drink at dinner. Yes. Why did you go to Z-Bar? Why did I go to Z-Bar? Because I was meeting up with some friends. And Virginia has roads, right? Yes, it does. And they have lines on them, right? Yes, they do. Just as they do here in Pennsylvania. Yes, they do. Then Sciola interrupts. He says, Judge, I'm going to object. This is argumentative. Judge Washington says, no. Sciola responds, I mean, does Virginia have roads with lines on them? The judge says, this is fundamental knowledge. I'm not taking anything for granted. So once they get through that, Sapong then also explains that another car had sped in front of him on 676, which, which caused him to take extra precaution and focus on staying between the traffic cones lined up on the highway. Now, for further context here, CJ was six weeks, six weeks removed from a concussion and facial fracture suffered in the Union season opener. You remember that one, the Colorado game at the beginning of 2015, the collision there right before halftime, uh, where he had the, zyg- the zygomatic fracture, I want to say it was? Anyway, Sapong testified that the concussion happened two weeks prior to the traffic incident, which means he was either incorrect with his timeline or there was a second concussion that we didn't know about. And that's important. So let me read all this again. For further context, 
CJ was six weeks six weeks removed from a concussion and facial fracture that he suffered in the Union season opener. He testified that the concussion happened two weeks prior to the traffic incident, which means he was either incorrect with his timeline or there was a second concussion that we didn't know about. Now, Catherine Smith says, and you would agree that you, during that testing portion of the incident, you told Trooper Harvey that you didn't have any physical reason you couldn't complete the test and in boundaries of those lines, correct? Now, CJ says, again, I was trying to explain and he really was cutting me off a lot, but I wanted to let him know that I just recently, about two weeks before that, I suffered a concussion. So I had a lot of migraines during that time. And I wasn't able to really explain that because he kept cutting me off. And yes, I was also nervous, so I guess I didn't say that. Now, Smith says, but he didn't cut you off when you're able to say, exact words and she reads from the officer's report that you have no problems and that you complete whatever tests he needed oh i'm sorry you said i run a lot and i can complete what you need me to complete cj responds that's not what i said i didn't say i run a lot he asked me if there was an issue with my legs and i said well i run a lot i was going to get to the fact that i play soccer so that i do have issues with my legs i was going to continue to say that nothing none of those issues though none of that should impair me from completing whatever tests he administered to me so it's your testimony then that you were able to give responses, but just short of you being able to say what you really wanted to say every single time. Sapong says, no, not necessarily. I felt like he was getting agitated. So I just kind of wanted to work with him and get whatever he needed me to get done, done. Now CJ goes on to explain that he felt like Trooper Harvey was speaking kind of fast and sensed that the agitation came from having to repeat himself. Sapong told the prosecution that he wanted to get this stuff done at the station because of his perception that Harvey was becoming annoyed. He then explained that he refused to do anything until he was allowed to read the DL-26 O'Connell chemical testing consent form. Now, at this point, Smith goes back to the video recording to present evidence that Sapong actually admitted to hitting the traffic cones before he was pulled over. And this is con confirmed on the video by Judge Washington, who says, quote, I heard this time. I couldn't hear it before, but I think he's, he may have been a little bit in the way or a little bit in the lane. I couldn't tell, but I also heard him say it this time. Thank you, Your Honor. So now we apparently have CJ correcting himself on tape, admitting to hitting the traffic cones here. Again, we were blocked from access to that video, so I have no confirmation. This is what they said on the record. Now, when Smith asked Sapong if he'd like to change his answer about the traffic cones, Sapong reverses course, explaining that he may have hit, hit a cone because of how close they were to the side of the road. So, sir, do you wish to change your answer from direct examination that you didn't come into contact with any traffic cones? And CJ says, well, I mean, because of how much in this video there is saying that I hit the cone, I could see how I might have nicked it because of how close the cones were to the side of the road. So at that point, like I said, I was a little scared. And I was trying to agree with them as much as I could to get back to the station where I felt like I would be safe. They didn't ask you anything about the cones, did they? Well, they did when they stopped me, says Sapong. And he further testifies that Kelbel actually accused him of purposefully attempting to strike his police car. Now, Smith says, right before you said, I stopped because I might have nicked a cone. They were asking you to submit to a portable breathalyzer test, right? That's correct. They didn't say anything to you about a cone at that point. At that point, no. So how is telling them that you might have nicked a cone agreeing with them about a portable breathalyzer test? And CJ explains, because when they stopped me the first time, the officer said, you tried to hit me. You tried to hit these cones. So I'm under the belief that because he told me he felt like his life was in danger. So because of that, I felt that's why I felt like he was agitated. That's why I feared because he was making it seem as if I tried to hit him on purpose. And one of the most uh, interesting pieces of testimony is the confusion about what actually happened at the police station. Uh, CJ reiterated that he would not take a chemical test unless he was allowed to read the consent form that he was given. And he felt like he was being rushed by the police. Now, Smith says, did you refuse? CJ says, I did not refuse. 
Judge Washington says, finish the question. What is the whole question? Smith says, did you refuse to submit to any chemical testing when you were back at the police barracks at the station? CJ says, it wasn't a refusal directly. I refused it. Yes, I said I refused to do anything until I'm allowed to read the forms that you put in front of me. And that's when they told me that I refused. Okay, but you said you wouldn't submit to any chemical testing at that point. I didn't say that. Like I said, I withdraw the question, Your Honor. Now, this is interesting. I need to kind of explain this here. Okay, so CJ is kind of correcting himself and, and explaining that, look, I didn't get to see this thing in front of me, right? So the ADA tries to withdraw her question, and Sciola says, Judge, can he be allowed to finish this answer? Judge Washington says she withdrew the question, so no. Now, in the closing statement, Sciola argues that Sapong, uh, we're getting to the closing statements here now, right? In the closing statement, Sciola argues that Sapong was not allowed to read the consent form that was presented to him at the police department. He also argues that there are inconsistencies in the testimony presented by Trooper Kelbel and Trooper Harvey. Sciola points out that the traffic cones, which were allegedly knocked into a travel lane, were not immediately replaced by the troopers, which could result in danger to other motorists who got on 676 that night. He also argues that the audio from the dash cam video does not suggest that Sapong was slurring his speech or incapable of holding a conversation. And here's part of Sciola's closing testimony. A closing statement, I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you to find the defendant not guilty. Not only did he not refuse to take the test, but in fact was refused permission to read what he was being demanded to sign. Here's the guy saying, hey, I I don't want it read to me. If I were a professional soccer player and somebody says, hey, here's your contract, you're going to read it before you sign it, I wouldn't do it. So here they are asking you with a lot of implications, very negative ones for citizens that refuse to sign this document, to sign the document. No, you don't need to read it. We're running out of patience. Your refusal. That's my number one issue with this case. So Smith, in her closing, points out the inconsistencies in Sapong's story regarding the traffic cones. She also focuses on what she believes are differences in how quickly CJ answers questions in court versus the pauses that appear in the audio from the traffic stop. And she adds that the refusal to take a chemical test can be seen as, quote, enough in and of itself to find him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt that he was under the influence. Now, Smith says, quote, he refused. He said that he didn't want to take the chemical testing, which is really suspect because on the scene, he says, despite not knowing about any form, that he's ready to take the chemical test and ready to do whatever the troopers want. But when he gets back to the police station, he really has to take that test. All of a sudden, he refuses. And our appeals court has said time in and time out that refusal to take a chemical test requested by an arresting authority is enough in and of itself to find beyond a reasonable doubt that a person is guilty. There's, a, there's an odor of alcohol. There's, a, there's an odor of alcohol. There's difficulty retrieving paperwork. There's difficulty performing the tests. I didn't see any dis- disrespect on the part of the defendant. I didn't see any disrespect on the part of the trooper either. He instructed him multiple times and he gave him the opportunity. So there's the closing statements. But Judge Washington isn't entirely convinced. Washington says, Only one question I have for counsel. I've looked at the elements. I've read the 3736, all right, Title 75, Reckless Driving. That's not, that does not automatically compute over to the DUI charge. And Catherine Smith says, no, they don't merge. And Washington says, because it has to be due to the influence of alcohol. Guy Sciola says, correct. I'll explain that at the end, okay? But basically what that means is that the reckless driving and the DUI were not linked, okay, which is why he was found guilty of one thing but not the other thing. All right, so Washington says, and here's his explanation. Here's his ruling right here. 
So that causes the driving in question of the reckless uh, or the reckless or careless driving or dangerous driving. I just don't see how I can say it's the alcohol that caused it without disputing the officer. If he hit the cones or didn't hit the cones, if he almost hits the police car, almost hit the police car or the trooper car. If you look at the way the defendant did take the test, I think this is the first time I've had the privilege of seeing a good video of the testing, a failed sobriety test. I don't think I have ever seen one from beginning to end like that before. I'm glad I had the opportunity to do that. I watched the defendant when he got out of the car. No imbalance demonstrated that would suggest it's due to alcohol. It's got to be due to alcohol. You can be the worst driver in the world. Maybe you should be charged with attempted murder, but that's a different issue from driving the car. It has to be due to alcohol. And when I watched him take the test, I already told you I saw him raise his arms every time to maintain your balance, you know, and I tried the test maybe myself. I've never been given the test, but I just don't see how this one stepping off on that return nine-step portion I don't see how that's saying he had, it was imbalanced due to alcohol, and therefore that's the same influence due to alcohol that caused him to strike a cone afterwards. I just, I just don't see the drunk driving. I really don't. So he's not guilty of driving under the influence. I will say for the record that I don't believe he refused as required under the case law. He asked to read and was not granted an opportunity to read the form that says, after reading, all right, it was marked. Wasn't it marked as an exhibit? And Smith says, it was, Your Honor. My only argument is that the case law is clear, that he doesn't have a right to read that paperwork. And Washington says, okay, well, that, but that's all right. I can fashion that in. I didn't say he had a right to read. But if he asked to read and he refuses, one of the reasons is for the refusal, then I just, I deny it. I say that you haven't proven the refusal beyond a reasonable doubt. The transcript then closes with a discussion between the parties regarding whether or not there was a ticket issued for the reckless driving and whether or not the Commonwealth needs one of those to prosecute. So after five more continuances spanning the course of more than four months, the court finally addressed that reckless driving charge on August 26th, 2016. So in the end, after 15 months, a rehab stay, and more than a dozen continuances and rescheduling, C.J. Sapon was found not guilty of DUI, but guilty of reckless driving. All right, so what really happened here? Uh, there are a few things to consider. I think the judge's explanation was kind of goofy. I don't know why he's talking about attempted murder there at the end. I, I get what he was saying, but basically the judge, um, you know, I think the judge just wasn't convinced that CJ was under the influence of drugs or alcohol. I just think that the he thinks that the prosecution didn't do enough to convince him. Um, you know, number two, another thing to consider, did CJ get off on a technicality because the officers reportedly refused to, to let him read the consent form? And number three, um, maybe the most interesting to sports fans, you know, did CJ's facial fracture and concussion that he suffered at the beginning of that season, did that lead to issues with him driving a vehicle or performing the field sobriety test? You know, he testified that he had he was having migraines at the time. Um, you know, just six weeks removed from a facial fracture, yeah, you're still going to be feeling it, right? Uh, so like most things in life, you know, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle here, right? Um, CJ admitted to striking the traffic cones at the highway entrance, but he testified that he was not under the influence of, of a controlled substance. Uh, you know, it seems strange that a, that a professional athlete would have to go to rehab before the legal process is finished, but that's just how MLS handles these things. You know, there might be a stipulation actually in the league's, um, collective bargaining agreement that this is the process you go through, uh, which I would fight if I was running the players union, because it seems kind of goofy at the end that he missed three games. Uh, for something that he was found not guilty of, you know? So I, I, you know, we have the due process backwards here, I think, but that's just my opinion. Um, so anyway, CJ, 
I reached out to the union to ask if CJ would speak on the story, and he he declined. Um, but he did offer a little bit to ESPN's um, Jeff Carlisle last day, or two Aprils ago. And he said, quote, it's very refreshing for this to be official, for the justice system to deem me not guilty. Um, that does matter. It's a great feeling, and I'm very thankful. It was a good moment. I got to kind of reflect on everything that transpired uh, and to still smile and be happy and have no regrets. Uh, the only like interaction I had with CJ regarding that incident was – uh, related to the rehab stint, he told me um, this in 2015 when he returned from Malibu. Uh, quote, I was admitted into a treatment program. It was a little bit of assessment as well as dealing with any issues I might have had. It was highly beneficial for me because it kind of gave me a time away from the game and made me realize where I made mistakes and areas I can improve in. It's an, ex- it's an experience I'm definitely thankful for and will take all the positives out of it. I'm definitely trying to get back with the team and trying to build the trust back up. And I know that doesn't take just a couple of days. I'm willing to do the work. All right, so so that's basically all CJ ever said about it. So for me, the biggest takeaway uh, here is that, you know, the biggest takeaway is I'll probably never know the full story. Um, and that's disappointing, right? Um, you know, basically what happened is people came to me and said, uh, a couple of years ago, they said, Kevin, CJ caught a DWB, you know, driving while black. And they felt like there was a... Some kind of, you know, profiling, um, you know, part of the story here. And this was right around the time that the Black Lives Matter was sort of coming into rounding into form with a lot of high profile on um, police cases at the time. And that's that's a big accusation. You know, I don't want to, you know, obviously the trooper said their piece. CJ said his piece. And, um, you know, the judge made the made the call from there. So, so I don't know. Again, we don't have that video. And it's not like the video would really be able to tell us if there's any kind of profiling or anything going on here. But. Uh, you can use your imagination and, and, you know, in 2015, if a black man gets pulled over by himself uh, on the side of the road at four in the morning, it might play out a little differently than a white kid getting pulled over on the side of the road at four in the morning. So, you know, I, you know, I don't really don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I think that's important for context here. Um, you yeah, know, again, the biggest takeaway is that you probably never know what the full story was here. Uh, Michelle Grove, the person I mentioned, the woman who, who sued, um, who, who fought the, uh, state police at the beginning of the story, um, she successfully won that case, you know, if they're taking the fight all the way to the Supreme Court. So when I was when I was trying to go through this, I was caught up in her thing as well. You know, my request was stuck with the Supreme Court decision, right? Um, Pennsylvania, the state police or actually their lawyers or something actually asked me if I would be willing to wait until the, the Supreme Court decision was made. Um, and I said no, because I, I don't know when the hell that's going to happen. And uh, it didn't happen for like another year later, you know, so go figure. Um, and the ruling, it, you know, the overruling of that didn't, wouldn't have benefited us anyway. Um, you know, Michelle Grove and, and many others were let down by Pennsylvania lawmakers and, and Governor Wolf when the SB 560 was, was passed to counter the court ruling. Um, Philadelphia's, uh, who was it? It was, uh, Vincent Hughes. Uh, he was the only Senator to vote against the bill, um, saying that it was, you know, it was, there were concerns about the public's lack of access to the videos, you know? So in a time, you know, I mentioned 2015 and Black Lives Matter and all that stuff. And, you know, in a time when the, the conduct of public officers is becoming, you know, one of the country's biggest concerns, we're taking backward steps here, I think, you know, so it's, it's, it's not just, this isn't just to expose the police when we think they, the police might've done something wrong, you know, access to the dash cam video, it would have allowed us to see for ourselves whether or not CJ had adequately performed the field sobriety test, you know, uh, which would have added further clarity to his exoneration. Uh, you know, that's a thing here. It's, it's a, it's a two way street, right? So when we ask for access to the dash cam videos, it's, it's not just to expose police officers, right? I mean, the footage can also be used, um, 
as a first line of defense. You know, when policemen and, and police women are unfairly accused of doing things that they didn't do, you know, so it, it's just more clarity, more accountability. It's just easier. Look, let's put the video out there. Let people decide for themselves what happened because um, it just makes them look bad. I think by just trying to hide it, you know, it's really disappointing that governor Wolf, um, you know, a Democrat, no less, uh, would sign off on that. So, but you know, I'll, I'll just end it by saying that this, this never, you know, it wasn't even really a sports story. You know, this was more about transparency and accountability and the, the legal process and whatnot. So, um, hopefully you learned something from that. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully it was listenable. You know, again, I, I, it's not like I could bring actors in here to read the parts of other people or whatever, but you know, a lot of people have been asking me about it, wanting to know what really happened with, um, the CJ story. And now it's kind of a weight off my shoulders cause I wanted to publish a damn thing. And, uh, you know, instead you get the, um, you know, dramatic reading of it instead. So that'll do it for, uh, for this episode of it's always soccer in Philadelphia. Thanks again for joining. And uh, if you have any questions about it, I mean, let me know. I, I have the whole court transcript um, in front of me still, and I'll try to clear it up as much as possible. And if I messed anything up or if I got any, anything wrong or if I didn't understand the law correctly, let me know, you know, and maybe I'll redo the whole damn thing. No, I won't do that. But um, hopefully you guys uh, get something out of this, and hopefully we'll have something uh, on field to talk about sooner rather than later. All right, peace.